Welcome to Ascending Olympus, the Edge of the Crowds Olympics and Paralympics podcast. I'm your host, Jackie. And today on day nine of Beijing 2022, I'm joined by Jess. So how are you today? I'm good. A little bit tired. Was up watching um, Jackie Narakot win last night. But other than that, it's been another good day of Olympics. Yeah, I don't think anyone can complain about watching uh, Australia win its first ever silver medal in a sliding sport. Yeah, not at all. It was great. But we might start with less like sport and what's going on in the sports and what's stopping the sports from happening because it's been a bit of a blizzard kind of a day today so we were all talking about before the game started no snow it's not gonna snow this region doesn't get a lot of snow and then between day eight and day nine they've gotten the most snow this region's seen in like three or four years now apparently yeah it's been well very messy on broadcast and you can barely see anything in the background and certainly wouldn't be fun for any of the outdoor events. Because of that, we've seen two freestyle skiing events postponed. Uh, So the slope style, which was meant to go on uh, today during the afternoon, I think it was meant to start around 2 p.m. That got delayed by about half an hour and then very quickly got postponed until the 14th. And then the aerials tonight, they were hoping that it was going to clear up. It was meant to start at 10, got delayed until 10.30. And then before it was even 10 p.m., they postponed that altogether as well because there's just so many safety risks with these um, freestyle sports. Exactly. And even in the biathlon, it wasn't cancelled, but you can see from the results the shooting's not been accurate. Yeah, and it's the same with the cross-country skiing. And even, like, it's affecting all of the sports that are outdoors. It's it's not really affecting the speed skating, at least. But, like, even the bobsleigh saw some effects. It really slowed the track down today. Um, and because of that, athletes have to change their strategy. But we're going to start with some Aussie news. And the first event we're going to start with is the men's giant slalom. Because Louis Mullen Schulter made his Olympic debut today. Um, the conditions were definitely not ideal for the giant slalom event. There were parts of the race where you couldn't even really see the athlete on camera. And like our green and gold is pretty leery, so you should be able to see that naturally. But um, in his first heat, he ended up finishing 32nd with a time of 108.44. And then in his second heat, he was a bit slower. Granted, the conditions were a lot worse in the second heat. Um, it was a 110.04. So he was 21st in that heat, but ended up finishing 23rd overall because they do take the combined time. And I'm not going to lie, 23rd in one of those Alpine events, like for an Aussie, that's pretty remarkable given that like not even many Aussies would be brave enough to try any of the alpine yeah. skiing events. Absolutely. And especially for someone on their Olympic debut, that's a really good starting point for him. And so we had Marco Odomat from Switzerland. He ended up winning at a combined time of 209.35. Um, but got a fun name to mention was Adam Zampa. Not the one that plays cricket, but Adam <laughs> Zampa from Slovakia, who finished 15th uh, with a time of 213.91 just ahead of his brother, Andreas Zampa, who finished with a time of 2.14.94. Um, and when Adam got to the end of his race, he was in first at the time, just because of the order. And he basically yelled out something to the effect of like, that's what brothers do or something. 
Um, so I thought that it was really cool to see like a moment between two siblings because yes, there are a lot of sibling combinations in the Olympics this year. Australia has it with um, Gabby and Sophie Ash, but seeing them in the same event finishing at very similar times and getting to be ranked one after the other. I mean, that's bragging rights in your household for a little while. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure it stuck out to us more because of the name and because it was a familiar name for us. Yeah. We're going to move on to the bobsleigh. And for the first time ever, the women's monobob has been competed at the Olympics. We've only got two runs down so far and it is a four-run event. Uh, which featured Australia's Brie Walker. And it was a bit of a mixed day for Brie. Uh, she got down the track 10th fastest in the first run with a time of 105.55 and then was sixth fastest in the second run for a time of 105.99, which puts her in seventh overall um, currently. But I think that the extra note is that we've talked about the fact that Brie is a really good push starter and that can be an advantage in some conditions. But because these tracks are a little bit slower, while the push gives you an advantage at the start, if you lose speed at any point from hitting a wall on the track, it just kills your momentum. And that's what's happened to Brie. She's hit um, the wall at the same corner twice. And to be fair, a lot of other drivers hit the wall at a similar time. Lauren Nolte is an example of that. But at the same time, Lauren Nolte is probably a better driver, even though she's not as good of a, she doesn't have as good of a push start. If you look through it, the people on the top, not all of them had great starts, but all of them had pretty consistent speeds right through it. And it was who could get through without losing time. Yeah, and like Kaylee Humphreys is in the perfect gold medal position. She, uh, she finished first in both of her runs. Her better run was her first run with a 104.44, um, but she was only 0.22 seconds behind in her second run. They were the two fastest times of the day above and beyond. She's almost over a second ahead of her nearest competitor. And as a result, it's like, is a gold medal guaranteed? Probably not. Um, I think that someone could put through a stellar performance tomorrow. Laura Nolte or Alana Myers-Taylor, and they're in third and fourth respectively, are a very good shot at still winning gold in this. But at the same time, if Kaylee Humphreys builds on her lead in that third run, no one's going to be able to beat her by a, over a second in that final run. Yeah, she's not, she's not automatically going to win it, but she is a very strong contender and it's pretty much in her hands. Yeah, I think that the podium is sewn up, maybe not the win. Yeah, I don't think three, three people coming in from over a second gap is probably unlikely unless she has a really awful run. Yeah, and to Bree's credit, like she can put up two really good runs tomorrow and get onto that podium still. We saw it in the skeleton with Kimberly Boss from the Netherlands. And if Brie makes the podium, that's our second ever sliding medal, but our first ever bobsleigh medal. Yeah, it's definitely Australia has shown to be a contender in the bobsleigh and sliding this year. Uh, we're going to move on to the cross-country skiing. And we had the men's 4 by 10 kilometer relay today. <laughs> and I was a little bit naive at first, I think, because I was like, oh, that just must mean that they're skiing 2.5 kilometers each I just I, I don't know what my brain was trying to process but no it's actually that they each ski 10 kilometers two in the classical style two in the freestyle style 
And today, the big winners were the ROC. And that means that Alexander Bolshenhov has his second Olympic gold medal for, for Beijing 2022, has his third medal for the Games, but it's actually his seventh Olympic medal uh, overall because he had three silvers in Pyeongchang as well as a bronze. So, I don't know, seven medals from two Games. That's a really incredible haul, especially, I mean, seven medals over a career in any sport is impressive, but in, in two games, that's incredible. Yeah, and so he's now looking to defend his silver medal from Pyeongchang in the 50-kilometre mass start freestyle event, um, which that sounds awful. I cannot say that enough. He's got, he's got a six-day break. It's, like, it's not as bad. <laughs> he doesn't have to go until February 19th because it is a little bit like the marathon at the Summer Games in the, these events that are very much a marathon and sound horrible to anyone that doesn't do them. <laughs> Um, get to be the morning, early, like early morning, early afternoon event on the final couple of days of the Olympics. But it's a fair achievement. And Norway has picked up its first silver medal in the cross country because the Norwegians were the silver medalist state. It's a race that takes typically about an hour 55 to two hours. Um, so everyone's skiing for about half an hour, if not a little bit less. Um, and there was some countries getting eliminated just because they got lapped, which means that only three of the athletes got to compete because getting lapped means that someone is seriously just like a whole place ahead of you in the cross-country skiing. Yep, so that was the um, China, Slovenia and Estonia. But I'm excited to see the last of cross-country skiing, I think, because it makes me really stressed out <laughs> just to the prospect of how tired my legs would be. But yeah, it's an enjoyable event to watch, but you don't want to imagine doing it for more than about five seconds. No, no way. Um, but there was also two events in the biathlon tonight, the sport that is not ideal for any Australian um, because we don't really shoot guns and we don't really cross-country ski. But we'll start with the women's. That was the first event. It was the 10-kilometre pursuit. Uh, Marta Rosalind was the big winner. So this is her third gold medal of this Olympics and her fourth medal of this Olympics because she also got a bronze medal in the 15-kilometre individual event. Uh, she's having an excellent Olympics. She only made one mistake in the standing position out of all of her 20 shots. Um so she finished with a time of 34 minutes and 46.9 seconds. She's only one of a handful, missed one or fewer shots because with how it was blowing tonight and with all the snow, so the vision would have been bad, a lot of people were missing shots that they should have gotten. Yeah, absolutely. She was being, she was incredible today. She's been incredible all Olympics. I mean, Norway in general is having a lot of success and she's a big part of that. Yeah, and so the rest of the podium was Elvira Uberg, uh, who ended up with three missed shots, one in the prone position, two in the standing position. Um, she finished a minute and 36.5 seconds behind Marta. And the bronze medalist was the 11th to start. She had a minute and 16 second deficit from Rosalind, who was the uh, 
zero zero starter I guess is the best way to put it she only made three mistakes but she finished with a time of 36.35.6 seconds so if she didn't have that deficit she would have ended up with a silver medal if it was all like starting from the exact same time yeah she skied really well today and it was incredible one yeah and it's a big reason why Norway is now up at the top of the medal table with so I feel a little bit vindicated because I've been trying to say that they were going to win everything from the start of these games and Look, they have won a lot um, and they're doing better in the biathlon than they were doing earlier in the games. But it's good to see that they're finally ahead of Germany when Germany's won six from six gold medals in the sliding events. Yeah, Germany's really just decided, okay, any sliding event, sound medal, no one else bother. Yeah. Um, And then we've got the men's 12.5 kilometre event and Quinton Fion Mayo was not satisfied with silver yesterday clearly because he's gone out and won a gold medal today uh so he has zero shooting penalties in the pursuit event he didn't start in first either he started 26 seconds behind norway's johannes tingas who won last night's event and that's why he had that advantage um finished with a time of 39 minutes 7.5 seconds so a 12 kilometer event that's pretty phenomenal effort. And especially with those zero shooting penalties, it was not an easy night for a lot of athletes. Um, the <laughs> Johannes Tingas Ball is an example of that. He had seven shooting penalties in the end. He still ended up finishing in fifth. So that's pretty impressive. But his brother, Tahir Paul, who won bronze yesterday, ended up winning silver, only had one shooting penalty and it was about 28.6 seconds behind Fionn male so say it's a pretty good olympics for that sibling duo as well yeah once again it's the siblings having all the fun yeah for sure uh and rounding out that podium was edward lakipov from roc he also had one shooting penalty i finished 35.3 seconds behind the gold medalist and i mean he started a minute 14 back so that's also a fair climb yes fion male uh, did end up eating in to <laughs> Johannes Tigger's ball's lead, but that like only means so much, really, as well. Yeah, it was. There are a few. There are a couple that actually jumped up quite a bit and really made some good time after starting in difficult positions. Exactly. Um, and we're going to move to the hockey because it's a little bit happening today. It was just the men's tournament today, um, and we had the matches between Slovakia and Latvia and Finland and Sweden. But there was something interesting that happened in the Finland and Sweden game, which I didn't realize that there were red cards in hockey because I just assumed that you just like got penalty boxed into oblivion. So do you want to explain just what a red card is for considering there are penalty boxes in hockey? If you get a game misconduct, you will be off for the rest of the game. In addition, one of your teammates will serve either a two or a five minute penalty depending on severity. Yeah, and so according to the official statistics, there were a lot of penalties handled out, handed out in this match. Uh, Sweden received eight minutes in penalties, but only actually served four minutes and 42 seconds because when goals are scored, the penalty time is stopped. But according to the statistics, Finland served 37 minutes in penalties. So is that more to do with that red card and how long that one player was off, or is it... That they received 37 minutes in penalties. 
No, so that's a game misconduct counts as a 25 minute penalty for um, statistical purposes. So that moves. So a few of those can really add to the stats. But yeah, I mean, honestly, not particularly surprising. You get you get a lot of penalties. I mean, these are two countries that, especially in men's men's hockey, have a good rivalry, really competitive. You're going to get those penalties. And like they, to be fair, even though those 37 minutes don't fully count, like the Finland did serve 11 minutes and 20 seconds in penalties, like properly. Um, and three power play goals were scored as a result of that. So Sweden definitely took advantage of the uh, player deficits when they were around. And that's one of the key parts of any of these tournaments. If you get those opportunities, you really have to capitalise on them. Yeah, and then the other match, which was a little bit less interesting by way of Slovakia very much did dominate against Latvia. They went 5-2. Um, and, like, as a result, a lot less penalties because I think that that's the thing that Australians are fascinated with with hockey sometimes. It's just, like, why can't we have a perspex box for all of our sports when people get, like, sin bins? Um, yeah, so I really want to see that. I want to see like your big rugby players just sitting in a perspex box having to watch the game with the crowd taunting them. Yeah, oh, it'd be hilarious. So <laughs> Slovakia only had four minutes in penalties. Latvia had two. There were no goals scored in power play. Um, and on top of that, so while it was a 5-2 match, Slovakia had 33 shots on goal and Latvia had 20. So a lot of shooting going on in this match, not a lot of scoring, which is a little bit credit to the goalkeepers, a little bit discredit to the forwards, not really having particularly good shots, but still makes for an interesting match despite the fact that it was 5-2. Yeah, and also I think in general for this tournament, the fact that there are no NHL players really has helped teams like Slovakia and Latvia that don't have a lot of players in the NHL and therefore get to send out their best teams against what a lot of the bigger teams are is a suboptimal team. Okay, and I'm curious because Switzerland play Canada in the women's semi tomorrow. Um, how much are Canada winning by, in your opinion? <laughs> what was that first one? A lot. The first answer is a lot. <laughs> it is, I'm probably going to be on the podcast after this. I will publicly apologise if it's anything other than a USA-Canada gold medal match. I mean, that's what I think I was saying from the start. I picked a double Canada, like, gold medals i thought they were going to win both of them so i'm not going to apologize for that because i think that i'm partially vindicated by just how good they are in the women's um but, but yeah, yeah I, mean, I was like i saw that like that match up and even though switzerland beat rse i was like oh they're gonna get destroyed in a semi-final <laughs> so yeah i was looking at the stats and of the top point scorers alina muller is in the eighth highest point scorer of this tournament. So for non-hockey people, points are assists and goals combined. The top seven are all Canadian. Which says a lot about those double digit wins because um, yes. they had what, three in the group stage or maybe it was exactly. just two. Um, but then on top of it, it also shows how low scoring some of these other matches have been. Hmm. But we're going to move on to the figure skating. Um, and we'll start with a bit of an update on the Valieva situation. So 
Uh, if you've been paying attention to Twitter, it's been a little bit messy still. The IOC, the ISU, and even WADA are reluctant to make many statements because she's a protected person and she's 15. But what they have all officially done is announced that they will all be appealing the uh, lifting of her suspension by the Russian anti-doping agency. That hearing with the Court of Arbitration of Sport is ongoing now, basically. Um, they won't come to a decision until Monday afternoon, most likely. So hopefully tomorrow afternoon, along with like who won the ice dance, we are going to have uh, some sort of an update and say, Valieva is competing, Valieva is not competing. Um, but it's all a bit of an interesting situation on top of that. She's back at practice. She's been practicing. Her practices have not been great. She's been crying at practices, understandably so. I think that this would be a very stressful situation. But you can also see that this stress is wearing on her teammates, uh, in particular Anna Shabakova, who realistically is considered to be the gold medal favorite if Valieva doesn't compete and her practices have been a mess like practice only means so much but she's having hard falls on quad jumps and that's a big impact on a very little body because those Russian girls are tiny yeah I think you can see <laughs> sorry but yeah you can see that it's really challenging the whole Russian team and yeah, when, when we get a result, I'm sure this podcast will talk far more about it. But right now, there's so many, we're hearing this from this person, we're hearing this from this person, it's far easier to wait till there's an official statement. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you want like wholesome figure skating content, because the men's event is like done, the men that are still in Beijing right now get to have like official practices and they are just having fun, um, trying crazy jump combinations, having clean run-throughs in practice, despite the fact that they didn't have clean free skates and therefore won medals or didn't win medals that like were lesser than they could have gotten, that sort of thing. Um, something that is very much fun about the figure skating is once the events are ended, like there always is a bit of like fun footage that comes out of the athletes just having fun in practices, which we don't get to see during the season typically. So it might warm you up to skaters that you just thought had a cool program if you see some of the photos or videos floating around on twitter or instagram i recommend checking it out i always enjoy to see that sort of content yeah and i'm sure of course it's much easier to get those programs done and stuff like that when you don't have all that stress of actually being judged and competing on it and there's far less riding on it if you don't do it Exactly. I just think that like landing quad toe loop, triple loop combos and also triple axle and quad toe combos and that sort of stuff, stuff that doesn't get competed in practices after the Olympics. It's just like, makes you go like, what the hell? <laughs> like, where is this? Um, and it shows there's, there's still like even quad axle aside, there's still growth in the men's competition before we get to quint jumps, which is five rotations. <laughs> But we're going to move on to the actual event that happened. And it happened overnight. So when the podcast was recording yesterday, uh, the ice dance rhythm dance event was on. It was an interesting event. I've talked before about how the ice dance is um, modern styles. I think the actual official term is urban, but it means it's a lot of hip hop, disco, blues. They do a midnight blues pattern as their like pattern dance. 
Um, and the way that most people know ice dance is it is the one that has no jumps. It is the one that question like makes you question whether everyone is in a relationship with each other, which like spoiler, people date other teammates. It's very funny. Um, as well as skate with their exes. <laughs> but then also um, your parents will know it from Torval and Dean. <laughs> that's, the, that's the easiest cultural reference is a lot of people's parents that were growing up in the 80s or were adults in the 80s would know about Torval and Dean. But the big winners of the ice dance were Gabriella Papadakis and Guillermo Ciceron. They were the silver medalists in Pyeongchang. And they had a massive score. They break their own world record. They got a 90.83. And the 90 barrier in the ice dance is a little bit like the 110 barrier in the men's single skating. Just because the technical values are worse, less, and there is different like factoring of the personal component scores. And in the personal component scores for Papadakis and Ciceron, they received seven tens just for interpretation alone. So seven judges gave them a 10, two judges gave them a 9.75, which ended up averaging out to 9.96. They also received some tens in composition, in performance, and one 10 in skating skills. So I don't think this was actually a perfect program. They did lose some levels, but it was a high quality program. It's the best we've seen them do this program as well. And when they broke the world record the first time like that was probably a bit unreasonable but this time I'm like that that had to beat that previous world record it was a million times better than their performance back in November yeah I'm I don't really follow figure skating a lot I enjoy watching it but um I don't it's not one of my main sports but just looking at those scores you can see that very clearly that was considered something special by the judges yeah, and Sinitsuno and Katsalapov, who were in the team event competing for ROC, did have a fair bit of a redemption. They scored an 88.85. Um, so they beat both Madison Hubble and Zachary Donahue and Madison Schock and Evan Bates uh, in the rhythm dance, which they lost to Hubble and Donahue in the rhythm dance in the team event. They lost to Schock and Bates in the free dance in the team event. So I think that that's a little bit extra like added redemption but it was the cleanest Nikita Katsalapov has ever done his twizzles and I mean twizzles is the most obvious thing to like someone that is not like typically used to watching ice dance to be like oh that looked really good or oh that looked really bad but the team in fifth place is the one I want to talk about um that's Alexandra Stepanova and Ivan Bukin um they have been partners together for, I think, 16 years. It could be slightly longer. It could be slightly less. I could be exaggerating a little bit. Um, they got to the games on Friday, I believe it was. Um, and so they held up, like, flying out because they didn't go to this training camp um, with the rest of the Russian team, didn't want to risk COVID, that sort of thing, have flown in to a whole bunch of drama in the Russian camp, to be fair. And then they've pulled out a fantastic Backstreet Boys program, um, <laughs> which I is my is probably one of my favorite rhythm dances of this season. I am also kind of biased. I really like this team, and they scored an eighty four point oh nine. So they put themselves ahead of the Canadians and the Italians. Who it depends on the day, but a lot of the time, at least the Italians, they end up sitting behind or just behind. Not so much at European Championships, but at some other events. Yeah, it certainly feels like that late arrival has helped them a bit with not being, not having as much interaction with the rest of the Russian team, which 
with everything going on, that probably is a good thing. Yeah, and I think the Papadakis and Cicerone are very much in the box seat to now win the gold medal. They are 1.98 points ahead of Sinitsa and Kasalov, which does count for something. Um, we haven't seen them compete their free dance for quite some time, so like I'm curious to see how it's improved. But also, I'd say that the battle for silver, bronze, slash fourth isn't dead in the water. Even fifth, Stepanova and Buchan have thrown their hat in the ring by being only 0.5 points behind Chalk and Bates. Um, that is because Chalk and Bates had a mistake in their rhythm dance, and I'm sure that their dark punk alien love story is not going to have the same mistake <laughs> tomorrow afternoon. But I'm keen. I think that a double US podium is possible. I also think a double ROC podium is possible at this point in time. I just think that Papadakis and Cicerone have the gold medal sewn up, which I think they will feel vindicated considering they essentially lost the gold medal in Pyeongchang by a nip slip. And yeah, I do so mean that seriously. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very close last time. So I'm sure they'll be very happy if they do get that gold. Yeah, well, and when I say they lost by a nip slip, it's because uh, Gabriella Papadakis's costume came undone and her breasts showed, and they received a costume deduction for that. So it was like li literally <laughs> because of that is why they lost the gold medal. But we are nearing the end of the episode. So Jess, would you like to share your social medias? So yes, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Jessica Ross. That is at underscore J-E-S-S-I-K-A-R-O-S-S. -S -S. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dodsy161. This has been Ascending Olympus. You can find Ascending Olympus on Twitter and Instagram at Ascending Pod. Ascending Olympus is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. Um, you can also read any of our stories um, related to the Olympics or anything else, um, be it culture or sport-wise, at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. I've just released an article about the Camilla Valieva situation and why, hey, maybe uh, there's been problems going on for a while. So give that a read if you're interested. Ascending Olympus is coming to you every single day throughout the Winter Olympics at about 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So be sure to listen to us then, especially if you're driving to work and it's a bit of a long commute. Thanks for listening and we'll see you tomorrow.